0: Ripped from the case files with Donna Harris. Actual arresting officers from the United States Postal Inspection Service. And stories of greed, deception, and fraud. Now your host, Donna Harris.
1: Hello. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Badge, Ripped from the Case File of Postal Inspectors. When you think of thieves, you wouldn't think about an American tradition. But that's what this is all about. We're going to talk to you about a case that strong tale of deception, money, sex, and all sorts of lurid details. Joining me today is Postal Inspector Eric Manuel from the Denver Division. Welcome to Behind the Badge.
0: Thanks for having me, Donna, happy to be here.
1: Great, so tell me a little bit about this case. I, I, I believe that uh, this particular case, the guy's name was Delano?
0: Yeah, Delano Medina was the main suspect in this case, and it's it wasn't just a case more than quite the saga because it began on my third day as a postal inspector in the field uh, many inspectors they have a field training program that they go through when they start but uh, having prior law enforcement experience i was thrown this case file on the third day and told to call a detective with the lincoln nebraska police department detective dave wiggins and uh, there's some stories we'll get into about dave as the case goes on but It was interesting because uh, we learned that Mr. Medina, who was a Colorado resident at the time, uh, had a history of committing fraudulent activity, fake IDs and check fraud and stealing other people's identities to fund a criminal lifestyle. And in 2014, in the spring, he had begun to um, travel the countryside across Colorado and many states to the east, including the Dakotas, Wyoming, nebraska western iowa Uh, he really had a broad swath and he traveled with his family members and cousin and aunt and they would steal mail from rural victims and take their stolen checks to commit financial fraud to support their lifestyle and also to steal merchant to buy merchandise with the stolen identities and they'd buy an ipad in council bluffs iowa at walmart and they drive across the street to Sam's Club and return it. And they buy an item at Cabela's in western Nebraska and drive to Denver and return it there for cash. And, and just kind of kept that cut up for a long time.
1: So uh, this uh, Delano, Delano is his name. So did he, um, you know, so he always had a life of crime. Or was it that he just um, fell into a life of crime based on a hardship or whatever? So you always just always, um, you know, as we like to say, a bum.
0: Well, from what I've studied on his crime history, he has an an interesting history in that he started at a pretty young age. Uh, As a young adult, he started getting into this type of activity. And he actually uh, learned a lot about the identity theft game from a guy by the name of Matthew Looper. And Looper was someone that the inspection service had investigated separately for these related fraudulent activities in about 2012, 2013, uh, but the case never came to fruition. Um, years later, we ended up looking at Mr. Looper for issues related to marijuana distribution out of Colorado separately. Interesting how they always continue to spiral out, but the um, Delano's story really took a turn in late 2013 when he had a domestic altercation with his wife in Lake County, Colorado. And the local police detective who investigated the case was rumored to have started a relationship with with Delano's wife. And that angered Delano quite a bit. He felt the police were out to get him and were unfairly prosecuting him for this domestic abuse because he uh, just didn't have a real appreciation for any type of laws. And anybody telling him he broke a law, he just didn't believe him and thought that person was in the wrong. So he was being prosecuted for the domestic assault, and he also was due to be sentenced and show up to Department of Corrections for a prison sentence related to fraudulent activity in Boulder County, Colorado. And he decided he didn't want to do that anymore, so he began his life of crime on the road. Got out of Colorado and started living out of his car, conducting fraud to steal people's identities, to fund the activities I mentioned, and stay in hotels, and use drugs as he traveled throughout the countryside.
1: So uh, how much did he steal?
0: So all told, we had several hundred victims across nine states, and approximately a quarter million dollars in attempted loss that actually happened through mail theft, which is a fairly large amount for a small group of of mail thieves.
1: So you said that uh, Delano, or Mr. Medina, if you want to call him, that he learned this from someone else. Did he learn it behind bars? Did he learn it in the neighborhood? Where, Where did he learn his craft?
0: I think there was a little bit of training in criminal college aka prison when they worked together but i think he also worked um, on his own he just had a personal drive to uh, um, find ways that he could subvert any type of law because he he partially um, and we learned later in the case that he subscribed to this sovereign citizen mentality where certain laws of the u.s and state and county governments did not apply to him he felt that he was a special citizen that was subject to uh, more native and naturalistic laws, and he didn't have to listen to the laws of man as they were written on the books, so he kind of wanted to do his own thing.
1: I like that criminal college. I'll have to use that in another episode of Behind the Badge. So how did how did you track him down? What did you do to find him and to find out about his crime?
0: Well, that's where the saga really got interesting because the tracking down of Mr. Medina was, was very tricky because he was living in his car and he was using fake names and stolen license plates and things of that nature to conceal his identity. So I couldn't put out a traditional bolo to look out for him because... We never knew what car he'd be in. We never knew what license plate was on the car. And we never knew what identification he would present to an officer when stopped. In fact, throughout the course of this case, we learned of several instances where he provided a fake ID during a traffic stop. And in some cases, he was let go. In many cases, he was actually let go because the fake ID was so good that even the officers uh, didn't know that he was not who he said he was. So tracking him down really began So I took the case in late May of 2014. And by June of 2014, we had multiple agencies coming together to investigate this. We had the Postal Inspection Service. We had the Lincoln, Nebraska Police Department. We had the Grand Junction, Colorado, which is on the very western edge of Colorado, the police department there. We had Cabela's and Target private investigators, Walmart and Sam's Club. Um, The Secret Service was interested in in it for a little bit. Uh, the Lone Tree Colorado Police Department, Thornton Colorado Police Department, many agencies came together.
1: I gotta ask you, why so many agencies?
0: Because he traveled such a broad area, as I mentioned, he would have a, a mail theft victim in one state and use their stolen info in another state, and then return the items he bought in yet a third state. So he created such a broad jurisdictional issue that we had to coordinate a large number of agencies to come together. And that's one thing I really like about federal law enforcement is that I can cross all those jurisdictions to bring everyone to the get together to the table at the inspection service to help us share intel, share notes, share case files, to bring this guy to justice on a on a bigger level than you could just on a single state charge. So,
1: so how'd you track him down?
0: So the tracking down began in, in, in June when, Walmart was a big partner in this, and we knew that he'd show up on video using these, and they knew to watch for him. So in late June of 2014, they put out an alert that said, hey, Mr. Medina and his wife are in Grand Junction at a Walmart right now, Grand Junction, Colorado, buying stuff with stolen information. And the I'm sorry, he was returning stuff that was bought with stolen info the day before, so they knew to watch out for him. So local police responded, and they contacted Mr. Medina and his wife as they were walking out of Chick-fil-A. And they are both heading to two separate vehicles. And the officer tells the wife to stay put, I need to talk with you young lady. And he walks over to Mr. Medina and says, sir, I need to talk with you. And he decides that he's not gonna comply with that officer. He gets in his Jeep and he slams the door in the officer's face. The officer reaches through the door to grab him to stop him from driving off. Mr. Medina puts his Jeep in drive and drives over the embankment and down the hill and flees the officers. They literally, he literally drove from the grasp of the police department. He had active warrants for his arrest at this time. He was subject to a DOC sentence and other open cases, um, but he got away from us in June of 2014. And he had several other run-ins with the law in the days that followed, but um, he wasn't caught until December of 2014. Uh, However, in between all that, there were some things that happened that made the case even more interesting. So, although his main MO was fraud and mail theft, he actually used the identification of a real person out of Fort Collins, Colorado, to go into Cabela's in Thornton, Colorado to purchase a nine millimeter handgun. Well, Mr. Medina was already a convicted felon at this point, which prohibits him from possessing and owning firearms and purchasing firearms, and he knew that, which is why he had to use a real person's ID to go in. And he went into Cabela's. We have beautiful HD video of him picking up this gun and going to the counter to pay for it and turning in gangster style to point it at the wall as he tested it out in the store. And, you know, we had, we had it on lock. We knew it was him that did it. And I purchased that gun. We got all those records and put out all these alerts, and I was able to initially get a, a federal prosecution secured for that charge for purchasing this firearm. Uh, using that stolen identification so that was in uh, let's say june of 2014 shortly before the grand junction incident he purchased this guy so now we have a guy that we know doesn't like law enforcement doesn't like following laws uses stolen identities and he's armed and he's one of those guys that could use it so one of the officers in grand junction was able to get a phone number for mr medina and he called him and said Hey man, uh, here's what the deal is. You need you to turn yourself in and just do the right thing. And the detective recorded this conversation and Mr. Medina went back and forth and said, you know, I'm not gonna do that and so on and so forth. And we said, well, hey, we know you have a gun and we wanna make sure that you're not gonna do anything stupid with that. And we brought up a point that said, what happens if an officer were to come to you and try to pull you over on a traffic stop and realize that you are Delano Medina? What would you do then? And Mr. Medina admitted that there is a very real possibility he would shoot that officer to flee that scene to get away from that encounter. And we had that on recording. So we know this guy's dangerous, but we just can't pin him down. So uh, fast forward to August of 2014. By this time, Delano has picked up a new girlfriend on the road because the last situation with his wife didn't work out so well. So now he's got a new girlfriend and her name is Samantha Sears. She's kind of helped him do some of the fraud, do some of the returns and the purchases and whatnot, but she's mostly along for the ride and along for the dope. She liked to do what she calls black and whites, where she would do a mixture of cocaine and heroin because you got an upper and a downer together. So that was kind of her gig. So they are driving together in the same car in the Western loop of, of Denver. And they got into an argument about her drug use. He didn't like that she was doing that. So he kicks her out of the car And says, I'm done with you. You can start walking along the freeway and heads off in the other direction. She flags down a passing motorist and says, hey, I need help. My boyfriend just kicked me out of the car. She's bawling. She's all upset. She's losing it. And he, this nice gentleman, picks her up and takes her to, um, he starts taking her uh, towards town to get her some help. And he started having a conversation with her and saying, hey, like, you know, this boyfriend of yours sounds like a real jerk you know, maybe we need to get you some help because this guy sounds like he is dangerous. Well, she starts to decide that maybe she doesn't want to go to this guy's house and that she starts texting Delano saying, I'm in trouble. Help. Come save me. Come save me. This is the guy that just kicked her out of the car a few minutes ago. But when you're on drugs, you're not thinking real clearly.
1: Right.
0: So he, um, it ends up that they encounter each other in a parking lot of a grocery store in Southwest Denver. And, The good Samaritan agrees to drive Samantha to this parking lot so they can meet and get out. And Delano gets out of the car hot. How dare you try and steal my girlfriend? You were trying to take her to your house to do stuff to her and all these wild accusations. And the guy just says, I don't want anything to do with this. Here's your girlfriend. You two deserve each other. I'm out. And as he leaves, Delano's threatening that he's some type of police officer and he's going to do things. And when we actually searched his car years later, he actually had a, some type of fake badge in his car. So,
1: so he was all he kind of bad.
0: He was all kind Got of bad. All right. So as the uh, Good Samaritan is leaving the parking lot of the grocery store, Delano follows him, still hot, and he fires three rounds at his car from a 9 millimeter handgun. The same 9 millimeter handgun that he illegally purchased at the Cabela's months earlier.
1: Drop the mic, but don't drop it. Keep telling us right, about right, it. Right. Okay. So,
0: so by doing so, he committed the Colorado revised statute state felony violation of felony menacing with the firearm with extreme indifference. So uh, I got to be part of that investigation. And I worked with the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office on that case with a great detective who was able to help me piece that together and, and run down the gun trace necessary to determine that that was in fact the gun that was used, that was spotted at Cabela's, and we, we put the whole story together. But this was August, and Delano's still on the run. He's still committing fraud across many states. So fast forward to December. In early December 2014, Delano and his girlfriend go to the Cherry Creek Mall in Denver, Colorado. And Delano was getting pretty brave at this point because he'd got away from us for so long that he thought he could get away with anything. So he goes into the nicest jewelry shop in the store and tries to buy a $9,000 Rolex with someone else's credit card and a stolen fake identification. But it just so happened that he picked the one store in that mall that had an off-duty Denver police officer working in uniform in that store. But it wasn't just any officer, he was actually a detective who was just moonlighting an off-duty position as a security guard for this jewelry store. And so this detective was a little bit more in tune than the regular guy, and he ran uh, the, the store employees that also had just gone through ID theft training. And so when they saw this credit card and ID, they thought something was up. This guy just doesn't fit the type of guy that we see buying a $9,000 Rolex. So they called the officer over and said, can you check this out? And when they ran it, Initially, everything came back clean, but because of the warrants that myself and the uh, Grand Junction Police Department had put in the system, we listed all of the known aliases that Mr. Medina was using. And one of those finally hit on NCIC and they came back and said, you know what? Uh, This actually links to a guy that's got a whole bunch of warrants out. How about you come talk with me? And as the officer placed his hands on Mr. Medina to place him under arrest for these open warrants, Mr. Medina decided that the fight was on. And he turns around and he swings and punches the officer in the face and they begin rolling around wrestling on the floor of this jewelry store and we have this all on video and it's amazing to watch to see that they're rolling next to you know I joke it's always the Hope Diamond you know they're rolling next to this big glass case with thousands of dollars in jewelry and they're rolling on the floor but the officer gets them into custody finds several fake IDs and stolen identifications on, on Mr. Medina's person at the time arrests them on my warrant and all these other open warrants Mr. Medina tells him where his car is in the parking lot. We find the car. The girlfriend has since fled. She realized that this is taking a little bit long for him, so I think I'm gonna bolt. Samantha leaves. We seize the car and I executed a federal search warrant in January of 2015, and we found all kinds of evidence supporting all these crimes I've mentioned. We found merchandise purchased at Best Buy with stolen information. We found stolen mail. We found dozens and dozens of fake IDs. Uh, credit cards the like all the materials you would need to build fake checks out of your car laptops printers everything
1: so yeah entire crime enterprise in his car
0: he did he was a rolling crime lab uh, of the bad kind (laughs) so yeah he was he was set up to go so we had uh, recovered all this evidence and we noticed that the car uh, I forgot to mention that he actually bought the car in Kansas using stolen information from a lady from a male theft victim out of montana so he stole her information and bought this nine thousand dollar toyota Camry and put fake license plates on it and that's what allowed him to get away you know kind of covertly from law enforcement for so long so he uh, the, once the evidence was bottled up and we gathered all this stuff. We had all this historical data from all these vendors that showed all this financial fraud that he did and I worked with all these local police departments to put everything together. We went back and superseded his federal charges and added on aggravated identity theft, mail theft charges, bank fraud charges, and also when we searched his car, we found two more guns that he wasn't supposed to have. One of the, those guns have interesting stories in their own right, but you know, they long and short of it, they were not obtained legally. So uh, now he has two more gun charges on his name too. So we uh, put all that together, we brought it to trial. The problem was, as I mentioned, this was all pretty much wrapped up by uh, 2015, early 2015. But Mr. Medina had state felony charges in I think four different states and he had, I can't remember how many dozen different cases between those states. So we had the challenge as federal law enforcement, we needed to go after him to bring him to justice in the federal court. But every time we'd file a writ to go get him, he'd been moved. He was in this county one day, and I'd call and say, hey, we're coming to get him. Oh, he's now in this state. Explain he's now that. In this state.
1: Explain that. Uh, you know, so you had to file a writ to go get him, and then he wasn't there, the whole federal versus state. So explain that a little.
0: So there's some case law that says that um, the feds have primary jurisdiction. Uh, we have a responsibility to go get this guy and bring him to justice in federal court to face for his charges. But when we tried to do that, we found out that because of all these different state charges he had across all these multiple jurisdictions, those people were already moving him around. And from the January to June timeframe, while we were setting up our case federally, he was being moved around to get brought up on all these charges. And it was hard to track him down. And many times when you just call a jail on the phone, even if if you identify yourself as an officer, they're not going to tell you where this guy is and they're not able to share with you his movements and they're not gonna be able to tell you, oh yeah, today's Friday, he's here now, but he's gonna be leaving Tuesday. They'll just tell you, yeah, he's here now, it's Friday, take or leave it. So we had a challenge. We we had several writs that went unexecuted because we weren't able to find him and, and time it right. So we eventually decided that we just, you know, we, despite our best efforts, it was not going to be reasonable to bring him in. And the other thing is Mr. Medina, um, again, partly due to his sovereign citizen beliefs, he liked to file speedy trial on all of these cases and demand his right to speedy trial, which is his constitutional right to do so. The problem is, can the courts really process that many cases each in six months? You can't, you can't do that. So especially when you got to travel across four states. So what they did was it was just a careful dance of everybody working together trying to make sure that they were able to dispo their cases without losing it because of the speedy trial violations. And we as, we, as the federal government, had to wait for some of that to be dispoed before we could move forward. So finally, by late 2016, early 2017, we were able to bring them over to federal court once most of these cases had been resolved and we were able to, to bring them over. And. He fought tooth and nail every step of the way. Um, he didn't really agree with the public defenders who were trying to explain to him his options. Because when you get to federal court, you can't pull all the tricks you can get in state court that he tried to pull. But he didn't agree with his public defenders, so he fired all of them and ended up trying to represent himself in federal court.
1: Uh, that probably was a mistake.
0: That, that, that's needless to say. So, um, so I forgot to mention that uh, Um, In the state court, as it related to that whole shooting incident that happened in Jefferson County, I did participate in that trial and that case investigation. Well, he got um, convicted in that case by a jury uh, because he fought tooth and nail. And he could have taken a plea deal to be out in several years, but he fought and went to trial. And so he got convicted and sentenced to the maximum of 44 years in state prison because of the extreme indifference and habitual violator add-ons, he really, his sentence was multiplied. Typically, offenders in Colorado will only serve about a third of their actual prison time, but because of the nature of his repeated violations and his habitual violator status, he'll actually be asked to serve a minimum of 22 of those 44 years behind bars before he's even eligible for parole. So we knew all that coming into our federal case, and he knew that he had time there, and the potential existed that a conviction in federal court could add in time behind that. Sometimes they'll choose to run the cases concurrently, but we were asking to run the case consecutively so that his prison sentence would be consecutive to his state sentence. So he fires his federal public defenders and fights tooth and nail and um, put up some arguments that uh, didn't hold a lot of water in federal court. Tried to basically say that um, because the feds waited so long to prosecute the case that he lost critical evidence on his phone that would have exonerated him from all of this and shown that he wasn't in these states as, he, as we claim he was. But yet, he never put up any type of argument to discredit the Walmart security footage that we have in Nebraska and Iowa and all these states of him committing these acts. There's nothing to refute that. When I interviewed him after his arrest in December 2014, he admitted that that was him in those photos. He admitted that he did these things. There's no arguing with that. So uh, he ended up um, making us prepare for a trial leading into September of 2017. And at the very last minute, just days before trial, he finally agreed to a plea deal, to plead guilty to these, to many of these charges. And he was sentenced to an additional, I believe it was 11 and a half years on top of his, his state sentence. So he's going to be in prison for the rest of my career if uh, if things go right. So he's one of these guys that just showed time and time again that he had no appreciation for the law and the court system and the judges. I mean, he would stand up and argue with the federal judge and tell the state judge that he knew more than him and fire his attorneys because he knew more than him. And Delano doesn't even have, I don't think he even had a high school education at this point.
1: He was just school yeah. and criminal activity. He, his, his education was in crime.
0: Exactly. That was the life of crime, if you ever did hear one.
1: So it's fascinating uh, how he was able to get away for so long. But I'd like to say karma is a dish served very cold. That's right. And he finally got his just desserts. That's right. (laughs) So, I got to ask you, you said this was your third day of work, and you had to do all of this, and you're still learning. So, um, did you have any background in law enforcement before you came to the Postal Inspection Service?
0: I did. So, prior to becoming a Postal Inspector, I was a Special Agent with the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation, where I'd served for five and a half years, and I had experience working financial crimes in that realm. So. I was prepared to gather the evidence needed for these types of case, but you, no one could ever prepare for the scope and the breadth of just the geographic area that this crime covered.
1: So there's, uh, there's, there's something about this, uh, this case that many people don't know about the case investigators. So why don't, you, why don't you give a little bit of something that they don't know that they can't readily find out about this uh, particular case.
0: Well, one thing I always like to tell people is that you know, when I first started working with investigator Wiggins out of Lincoln, Nebraska PD, I was blown away with the work product that he prepared that summarized a lot of the work that, or a lot of the fraud that Mr. Medina had done before I came to know him. And uh, I was always appreciative of the work that he had done. And about a year and a half after the case kind of wrapped up, I got an email from investigator Wiggins who said that, hey, I'm coming to be a postal inspector and I've been assigned to the Denver, Colorado office. And now he works in the office right next to me, working mail theft uh, on the same team as me. Uh, So it's a very neat story how through the course of this case and the relationships that he built and the work that he saw that we did, he wanted to become a postal inspector and, and we were able to bring him into our ranks now, which is, which is pretty neat.
1: That's fantastic. It just shows, you know, that, uh, our reach is far and you know, we already knew people love us, you know, because, hey, we're part of the American fabric. So, wow, this is, uh, this is a fascinating tale. So uh, thank you so much. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Behind the Badge, Ripped from the Case Files of Postal Inspectors. We'll have more uh, details of, of crime and, and activities all across the country coming up in future episodes. Please make sure to subscribe. Uh, either via iTunes or hit that RSS feed button above that says subscribe. Thank you, and uh, stay tuned for our next episode.
0: Behind the Badge, Ripped from the Case Files, is brought to you by the United States Postal Inspection Service. For more information or to learn more about postal inspectors, please visit uspis.gov. Or to file a complaint, call 877-876-2455.